as we approach the end of the liturgical year headed toward Advent, we hear often a lot about the end of the world. And sometimes it's tempting for us as Christians to, to ask the question, when is that going to happen? Looking around at our culture and our politics and what's going on, is that when is it all going to end? I think that's a serious mistake to ask that question. And not only because Jesus says that we're not going to know that, the answer to that question, but because it, it, it's a mistake because it causes us to be distracted away from what we're supposed to be attentive to. That it takes us away from the main thing. And the main thing is to follow Jesus and to, to open our hearts to him and to, to love God and to love our neighbor. But what we do need to be attentive to, and the key question is, is what is going to happen at the final judgment? What is going to happen when the world ends? In Scripture, it's very clear that there's going to be a judgment, a division of humanity. The humanity is going to be divided. And we see this in Jesus' teaching when he talks about, when he, when he, when he teaches his parables. Right? We see the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. At the end, there's going to be the separation of humanity. We see that the wise virgins will enter into the feast and the unwise will not. We see that there are the, the wise who build on, the, on rock, build their house on rock. Those who are obedient to the word of God, they will not be swept away by trial. But the foolish who build their house on sand will be swept away by tragedy and trial. We see in sacred scripture the sorting of the good fish and the bad fish, right? The weeds and the wheats will be separated. Those who believe, those who unbelieve, or do not believe. Those who repent, those who don't repent. Right? So in the end, there is going to be a judgment where humanity is going to be separated. And the church teaches that, and the scripture teaches that there's actually two different judgments. First is the general judgment, that is the last judgment that we hear about in today's readings. And then the second one is the individual judgment that we have at our own death. And so we quick go over what the church teaches and has been teaching for 2,000 years. So when Christ returns in glory, there is going to be a last judgment. This is what the Catechism says in paragraph 1038. In the presence of Christ, who is truth itself, the truth of each man's relationship with God will be laid bare. The last judgment will reveal, even to its furthest consequences, the good each person has done or failed to do during his earthly life. That at the end, everything that we have done will be laid bare. It will be open before God. right? And God will judge us accordingly but also talks about a particular judgment. Paragraph 1022 says this, each man receives his eternal retribution in his immortal soul at the very moment of death in a particular judgment that refers his life to Christ. Either entrance into the blessedness of heaven through a purification or immediately or immediate and everlasting damnation. Recently we celebrated All Souls Day and I had a parishioner come up to me and say, Father, do we believe as Catholics in purgatory? And I said, absolutely we do, right? Because there really are two destinations and purgatory is that state of being by which we are purified so that we can enjoy the blessed life of God in heaven. And so the church teaches very clearly that each of us is headed toward either heaven or to hell. And this is how the catechism defines heaven. He talks, it talks about heaven being the perfect life uh, and, and love and communion with God, with the Trinitarian God. It is a, is a place of communion, of love and life with God, the ultimate end and fulfillment of our deepest human longings. 
the state of supreme definitive happiness. And this is what it teaches on hell. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice. The state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God is called hell. It's a self-exclusion from communion with God. And that very definition is, is hell. You know, the church traditionally has us pray on, especially toward the end of the liturgical year, on the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And the church exhorts us to meditate on these things because they spur us on to conversion. When we remember our end, it spurs us on to conversion to use our freedom wisely. Because the truth is, is that life is short, death is certain, and eternity is long. And, and, and the way we use our freedom is very important. And we see the two different depictions of what's going to happen at the end in today's first reading in, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. When we hear that Daniel is describing what happens, he says, Some people, the God's people, will shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament. And those who lead others to justice will shine like stars forever. Right, so this life of the blessed, they will shine, they'll be like stars. There's like this radiance to them. He says, others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace. See, the real drama of the Christian life is that it really is possible to reject God's love. It is possible to reject his invitation to live with him. And this is something that I often preach out at homily, or homilies at funerals because it's important for us to remember that if heaven is real, and it's, it's an exchange of love, but God is not going to force us to love him. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love. He wants to invite us. He wants to woo us. He wants us to say yes to him because if we're not saying yes to him, we're not going to enjoy heaven. He's not going to force us to love him. And so it's so powerful because our freedom is very, very important to God, and it's important to us. C.S. Lewis, I believe, drives, the home, drives home this point of the freedom of our, of our decisions very, very well in the weight of glory. And I'm going to share this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's worth quoting at length. This is what he says. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person, person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each, each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I don't say this to scare you. And it's difficult for me to preach about this. I say this to, to highlight the extraordinary dignity you have in your freedom. That God respects your freedom and he wants you to use your freedom to be spurred on to good, to love God now so that you can enjoy eternity with him. 
The prospect of judgment should really affect us and sharpen our focus of what we really need to be focused on. St. John of the Cross says, at the end of the evening of our life, we will be judged on love. So as we reflect on our own judgment, especially our own death that none of us knows is going to happen, and mind you, almost all of the funerals that I do, people didn't know that when they woke up that day they were going to die. I want to give you three points just to reflect on it. will give all of us these three reminders. Number one, try not to get too carried away with life in this world. Like I said, life is short. Death is certain and eternity is long. Let us focus on the call of the life that God has for us to live with him forever. Allow that to spur us on to truly give our hearts over to him. To work out whatever is causing us to resist love, to resist healthy relationships, that, resist, that cause us to resist uh, giving ourselves to him. And let's, let's focus on that because God is inviting us to be with him. Number two, only God knows your heart. And that's good news, especially in a culture which is just kind of caught in this harsh judgment of those who disagree with us and we toward them. Only God knows the heart, and that, must, that means that we need to, meet, need to recognize that it's a very serious mistake to judge the hearts, intentions, and motivations of others, even if you see that their actions are incorrect. We have an obligation to judge people's actions, right? We need to as Catholics, but we cannot judge the heart. Only God can. And not only do we not have the capacity to see the inner workings of a person, right? We also don't have the right to judge someone else because that means we need to be above them to do that. You see, the truth is, is that God knows what we have been given. He knows the cards, if you may, that we've been dealt. And he's gonna, he's gonna be able to judge whether or not we really pursued him, righteousness, justice, peace, and love, or whether we didn't. And what's so humbling about this is that it's quite possible because we can't see the hearts of others, that the people that we tend to look down on, people that we think are, are below us or that we're better than them, they might be judged a lot more favorably than us because maybe they didn't receive what we've received. The way to ensure mercy for us is for us to be merciful toward others and that is merciful in our judgments but also merciful in how we live our life because everything comes down to mercy. The third point, just very simply, is that Jesus is kind and merciful. He took the power of death and sin upon himself so that we might live. And he's giving us everything that we need in order to come and be with him. He's in love with us. So we don't have to really be afraid if our hearts are open to him because he's giving us everything that we need. I agree with Leon Bloy, the French Catholic novelist, when he says this, the only real sadness the only real failure, the only great tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Just a few moments, we're going to come forward to receive Jesus who is love and mercy itself. My prayer is, is that you recognize that as you go to him, as you're on your way to him, that you ask him to pour out his love in your heart even more, in your life even more, to ask him for the gift to truly love him, so that when it, that moment comes when you die in that particular judgment, you not, only, not only, you not only don't have to be afraid, but you will be ready to embrace the blessed life that he died to give to you. And you will be able to see your creator and your redeemer face to face.